WDBM East Lansing. The impact. And now, Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emmanuel Berry, and tonight is the second Tuesday of the month, and that means it's time for Sex Exposure. Uh, Olin Health Clinic is here along with guests to talk about health, sex, and relationships for the hour. Feel free to join us in the conversation. You can call us at 432-3893. So why don't we start out with introductions? Uh, I am uh, Kevin Bader. I'm a health educator at Olin Health Center uh, Student Health Services. I'm Janelle Marie. I run the STD Project, which is a website based um, around eradicating the stigma surrounding STDs via storytelling and resource recommendations. And I'm Dr. D, and this is my 15th year of doing this. Long time. And we're breaking in a virgin host tonight. (laughs) Emmanuel is, is, uh, uh, Emily is plowing the coop and we have a new one, but uh, we're we're excited about having a new host. I'm excited to be here. Uh, So tonight we're talking about healthy sexuality. Um, Let's (laughs) let's go into uh, talking a little bit about what that uh, it means in relation to MSU and MSU's campus. Um, yeah. You mean we're not going to start off with masturbation? <laughs> we, I thought we were going to start off with not going to be a masturbation show. No. Uh. <laughs> well, it, I mean, it, it, it brings up the question. You know, I mean, when Kevin and I were talking about the actual agenda and, and we started, he started working on it, I was like, no, no, we, we can't do that. We have to start off by talking about, you know, what is this thing we call sex? Because we know we have a new audience, and we still have the farmers in Potterville listening to us, and we have the demographic of the students listening to us. So, I mean, what is the show really about? Is the show about talking about healthy sexuality, and what does it mean to have healthy sexuality? Right, overall. Overall. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, we talk about it, and everyone talks about it. We were talking before we even got on the show, which sometimes I wish we would tape that, because yeah, right. sometimes that's even interesting in, interesting in a sense about, you know, hookup culture and all this stuff, and, and then and we think uh, there's so much going on in the area of sex, and it's so uh, uh, in the news and the media, but mm-hmm. so what, what, what are we really talking about? When we, when, when, I, when we say healthy sexuality, what does that mean? Yeah, I think that's that's that can encompass even masturbation to come full circle. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we got to masturbation. That can be part of the physical, but it's to me my perception of it, which is different for each and every person. And so, how someone deals and, and is healthy sexually um, is going to encompass your emotions, your perception, your your feeling about what you're engaging in, what you're comfortable with in your body, um, and what you want to do with someone else, what you're, um, and being open. I think part of the healthy sexuality must include communication. Mm -hmm. And that is something that's missing a lot of times in all relationships because it's scary to talk out loud about sex or what you like and what you don't like and what you're expecting, what you're anticipating, what you're hoping, what you're interested in trying, 
all of those things. I mean, for me, communication is, I think, maybe the very first part of healthy sexuality. But on that point, if you call 432-3893 and communicate with us <laughs> and ask us a question, uh, Kevin has decided that the first caller tonight will get a year's supply of condoms. Uh, Woo! Yeah, that's it's, a good uh, deal. So call and join the conversation. We'll get it from the Olin Student Health Services. And, and we were trying to decide what was a year's supply. I know Kyle probably wants to call in, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's already on his phone over there. Kyle, you're not eligible. <laughs> he's got plans for <laughs> the weekend. But we will ask you questions in a few minutes, Kyle. Uh, um. If you want to call in. And uh, what is the question of the day? Or should we just make it open? Should we question, just say, uh, well, it can be anything. But one thing that we were interested in is uh, what are students' perceptions or anyone's perceptions before they reach college and and then once they got into college and, and talked with students and was in this culture of college was that perception altered did it change did you think that people were having sex a whole bunch of sex and then you got here and you were like well I guess they didn't have as much as I thought they were having so we're, we're asking what your perception uh, about sex was prior to coming to college and has it changed Mm -hmm. So it's a double question. We, we've had a lot of conversation about that lately with not only internally but with media outlets and state news and other folks about what's really happening on campus. And as mm -hmm. you well know, we've had people who said, wait a minute. The, your data is just can't be right because <laughs> everybody's having sex and everybody has ten partners and yada yada yada. Yeah. So, but let, let's go back to the original question I asked, and then we'll wait for our first caller who gets that year supply of condoms. Yeah, and the number for that 50? is four fifty condoms. Fifty condoms. In That's the good. Year we were trying to decide. You got a, like a package. Oh right? yeah, we yeah. do got packages. We so also it's not just condoms. Yeah, we got lubrication to go along with those condoms. Uh, we also have a. What flavor do we have tonight, Kevin? Oh. Any flavor. We got pina colada, strawberry, cherry, apple, whatever you'd like. And oh, Kevin has tasted them all. He knows what they <laughs> I had to do quality control. That's my job. Yeah, right <laughs> is. No. Um, but uh, your original question was healthy sexuality. Yeah, well, and, if I was to ask you all, yeah, we're and, uh, include you. And Kyle, we're not going to ask you. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Kyle, <laughs> not yet. But, but what? Healthy think, sexuality. Okay, so what? I think Janelle definition? made a good point. It's it's above the physical aspect of it all. It's it's the emotional, the sometimes spiritual for people. It, mm -hmm. it might involve that, and I think it's a holistic thing. It's it's not just that physical thing. Oh, my body's going to be touching another body. It's it's more than that. It's what you're thinking about before you do that, before you make that. What made you make that decision? Was it impulsive? Was it you were thinking about it because of the right person? I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many different aspects. I think in the agenda I have here, does a relationship start out with sex and turn into a relationship, or does it start out with a relationship? Oh, don't go to relationships right I'm, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm starting out, well, a relationship can start out with sex and then turn into a long-term relationship, or people can date somebody in time and trust. They end up having sex, or... Let me ask you, if, you, if, you, if someone was to say, what's the difference between sex and sexuality, what would you say? I guess I, w I think of sex as as the physical act and sexuality has to do more, encompasses more to me um, mm -hmm. beyond just the act of sex. Um, yeah. It's also, I think sexuality is your, your identity, how you identify yourself, mm -hmm. how you relate to different gender roles, how you relate and how, I guess, then how you want to portray yourself and, and your sexuality is feeling comfortable. Part of that healthy sexuality is being comfortable and happy with however and whatever makes you happy. So being able to say, it's okay if I want to be with a man and I'm a man, or if I want to try both sexes or, or whatever, and, and, and accepting that among yourself, within yourself, so that you can then move forward and make those good, conscientious decisions. And I think when we borderline, like Kevin, you mentioned, impulses, 
I feel like impulses are what have gotten me into trouble. But um, <laughs> you're impulse, not alone. You're not alone. Yeah, <laughs> impulse activities oftentimes do, and I don't think that there's that's um, exclusive, and that any impulse act is always bad or is going to be problematic. But I think that is when things do become a little bit risky, and oh, yeah. they border on not as healthy anymore because you maybe weren't making a clear, conscientious full thought-out decision. Wait a minute, you're telling me risky sex is not healthy sex? <laughs> I'll say well, it. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I love yeah. adrenaline. I'm a risk taker. Yeah. You know, I am too. my I'm definition, uh, you know, when I ask about sex and sexuality, I just want to get a free man. I like her. We need to have her on more often. <laughs> she, she's good. It's fun. Uh, I like this. It's good time. Sexuality to me is everything you are as a human being. It, yeah. it reflects all aspects of who you are. I mean, it's, 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 I always say you cannot, you can always deny to have sex, which is an expression of your sexuality. It's something mm -hmm. you have with someone else or you have with yourself. Mm -hmm. But you cannot deny you have a sexuality because mm -hmm. it is everything you are as, as a male or female or undecided. It is your expression of yourself. It is, it is the way you dress. It's the way you think. It's the way you act. It's everything you are. Uh, and we sometimes confuse sex with sexuality, and, and they're two different things. And uh, sexuality is, and healthy sexuality is that capacity that you're talking about to interact with the world in a loving, caring, happy way. You know that that's what health is to me. And Kevin knows that. Don't get me started on this. My <laughs> definition of health has nothing to do with with uh, biological metrics or measures or anything right. like that. My definition of health is the capacity an individual has at any moment in their life to interact with the world, to learn from the world, and to give back to the world. So it's about capacity. Health is a measure of capacity. So I think healthy sexuality is that capacity you have to either uh, express yourself, which is mm -hmm. sex, or to be comfortable with yourself, whether right. it's body image, your orientation, whatever. Right, That's and it doesn't have to about. be clearly defined. There are no. a lot of people, too, who are asexual, and don't define yes. themselves in, as a female role or a male role traditionally yep. in either of those directions. And th I think a healthy version of asexuality, if you want to call it that, is being happy and comfortable in your skin and saying, this is how mm. I'm not necessarily defining myself. I'm not certain. I think it can be an organic thing. Your sexuality is always evolving, growing as a result of your experiences. I know I'm still learning every time. Even these like conversations like this is awesome yeah. because you gain so much from being able to you know, which goes back to my point, I'm going to drill that in as this communication today. But yeah, I mean, you really you do. You learn and you all of a sudden your sexuality is something different next year than it was, you know, prior well, to yeah. having it's that experience. constantly evolving. And if you want to join the conversation and you're comfortable in your own skin enough to, to give us a call <laughs> and or you're you're combating that, please give us a call and join the conversation at 432 39 Nine, it's uh, 432, nine, the number is 432 3893. Kevin, you don't want to help on that one. I apologize. <laughs> Those cookies with Kevin are uh, just getting to him. Yep. yep. Uh, we, we have that complimentary prize pack mm -hmm. uh, of a uh, free year supply of condoms, which we've defined as 50. So I'm that, not so sure. I, I like 50. <laughs> I don't like that limit. That's not. That's well, not when we my said when we said a hundred, you you said, well, wow. That's, that's true. Then all of a sudden, I was feeling. So a we're going to do 50. What do you think, Kyle? Is 50 enough? Know. He's giving a yahoo. Okay. Fifty's <laughs> okay. good. Good. Okay. good. So Kyle. join us. So uh, conversation. So we've been talking a lot about uh, being comfortable and and communication. And I think some of the reason that people f might feel uncomfortable in their sexuality is because they are comparing themselves to what they think is going on mm -hmm. around them. Mm -hmm. um, and we actually have some statistics uh, specifically dealing with Michigan State University and 
what actually goes on sexually around campus. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyle had the you had the opportunity to go out and kind of ask people about the perception of these statistics. So uh, let's let's run them down a little bit. Certainly. Uh, yeah. Well, um, should I say them? Uh, yep. Yeah. Okay. So, so these were the statistics that I kind of discussed uh, in my segment, Quickies with Kevin, <laughs> which is where I went out on to MSU's campus. And as uncomfortable as some of them may have felt, I asked them questions regarding sexuality and uh, then also gave them what the actual stats were, which was um, 77% of MSU students used some form of contraceptive uh, contraception the last time they had intercourse. And uh, some people thought that was uh, a little low. They thought that, wow, some people aren't taking the measures that they need to take. And then they would kind of take a thought back and they'd be like, well, actually I have a lot of friends that are on um, birth control and and take that. So does that compensate for that difference or that low numbers? And then I had the opposite effect where people were like, oh, gosh, that's that's way too uh, high. And uh, they thought people are just, that, that can't be true. That can't be true. And I had a lot of people kind of combating the information and the data that I gave them. And they were like, no. They were like, no, no. And I was, I was like telling them exactly where it came from. And In contraception, just so I'm clear, yes. you're defining as um, protection like condoms, dental dams, female condoms, as well as birth control methods, correct? correct. Okay. Other birth control methods, I mean, they're different. So okay. I think we're sitting too close because she's starting to channel my thoughts. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, and and I'm sure uh, some people, and that, that's why that's, I thought, wow, that seems low to mm-hmm. me, or just scary, you mm-hmm. know, just because of what I do and my experiences of, of living with an STD. So STI, same, you know, similar anyway. Okay. So that's interesting. Well, we have someone who wants to join the conversation. Uh, welcome to Impact uh, sex exposure. Who's on the line? Uh, this is April. Hi, April. Hi, April. Hey, April. I forgot what the question was. So <laughs> if you can tell us what the question is and then give us an answer, you may be in luck today. Well, I actually don't have a question, um, but I know you guys had a question, which was talking about sex like beforehand and you know before yes. getting into college and after college. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, so basically, I already like finished college i'm 24 so i was just i'm moving back to st john's in lansing and heard your show and i was like oh i should call in but um, (laughs) i didn't date much in in high school i had one boyfriend and it was just real simple and stuff and my freshman year of college i got into a relationship and you know i had this notion that like you know oh, you know, if I care about this person, then I, you know, need to trust them. And trust is, built, you know, that's what builds the relationship. Sure. It turns out that he was very abusive, and, you know, the first time that we had sex, you know, it was rape. So, but I, you know, told myself, no, I have to trust this person. You know, I, he, if he cares about me, then, then you know, what I feel is, is not right. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just all through that. And the one favorite story that I would like to pass on is the, the first time that we did, you know, the back door. Mm-hmm. And he told me a little lube goes a long way. <laughs> and um, I can tell you that that's not the case. That's not the truth. <laughs> it's quite the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> so anybody thinking about that, uh, don't let anybody tell you that. Lube so is very underrated. Yeah, and, and it, it was not a pretty sight. So <laughs> right. I ended up breaking it off with him. And then through college, I didn't really date. Like, I had a steady boyfriend for a while who was long distance, who would come and visit me. And it was better, and then, you know, and stuff. But I didn't really have this notion that, 
everybody was having sex and stuff. Because that was kind of how it was in my high school. Mm-hmm. Was everybody was having sex and stuff. So it was kind of the reverse. Okay. You know, everybody had sex in high school. And then when I came to college, everyone was kind of focused on doing the whole studious thing. Like, I knew people had boyfriends. But I didn't really think about it. Okay. So, let, let me ask you a question before. I know you said you had a question. How are you doing now? Um, I'm doing better. Okay. I'm actually moving because I'm getting away from my abusive boyfriend, who is the second one, um, who did lots and lots of horrible things, including depriving me of food and things like that. And I'm in therapy. I've been in therapy for a long time. Okay. Cool. Um, uh, it, it was funny that you guys were talking about the kind of, you know, transient sexuality and stuff because, you know, sure. now I'm with a girl and okay. she's great. And cool. It, it, and, and the funny thing is, is that we're both kind of in the victim mindset. Okay. So it's like she was in abusive relationships, I was in abusive relationships. So we both know where we're coming from. So that in itself has opened up that channel for communication. We've been talking about a lot of stuff, you know, being like, you know, we know we need to talk about this, so let's just sit down and talk about it mm-hmm. and get it out of the way and, and try right. to figure out, like, how we work. And it's a lot more communication than I had in my previous relationship. And do you feel like, April, that has really helped you heal and, and to start that healing process because of the abusive relationships you've endured? Do you think that communication is beneficial? Would you encourage that? I mean, I'm sure you heard me. Communication. So, <laughs> you know, what do you think? Do you think that's oh, helpful? Oh, God, yes. Good. Cool. <laughs> I, you know, I can't, like, I tried to communicate with my ex-boyfriend, you know, before, and it was just like, you know, hey... You know, I'm I'm kind of feeling this way. You know, what 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 can we do about it? And he would insist that things would get better. You know, that he would try to do stuff, but he wouldn't. So sure. then it would kind of be like, oh. And then he started to invalidate my feelings, mm-hmm. telling me I was crazy. You know, or if I would get upset about something, he'd be like, oh, you're just overreacting. And it's like, it got to the point where I couldn't trust what I was feeling about everything else, and so right. I just kind of felt very detached from the world because I just kind of, I wasn't sure what I was feeling, if I was supposed to be feeling that way, and I ended up learning, you know, my feelings were invalid. You know, once I started talking to people, like therapists and stuff, they were like, no, you have every right to feel like that. Right. Yeah. No, that's so true. And your story is, I think there are other people who have been in your situation, so even hearing that you've been there is helpful to where people understand that, okay, they're not crazy, they're not, their feelings aren't invalidated Mm -hmm. or shouldn't be. That's great. It's great that you shared. April, thank you for calling in. We're going to keep you uh, online. If you would like our prize pack, we can always alter it to what you would like to have in it. Just Kevin will do that. I certainly it's good will. To, it's good to know that you you have someone to talk to. If you don't, please leave your name, and we'll be glad to get a hold of you and help you in any way we can. But thanks for calling in. It takes a lot to share a story like that. We appreciate it. Thank you, April. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks, April. Thank you. Well, it brings up, I mean, all kinds of issues. I mean, uh, when we talk about healthy sexuality, you know, the perception that she had was interesting, you know, in Mm -hmm. high school. You know, uh, it's interesting talking to high school kids because high school kids have all these perceptions about sex. In high school, I have a couple of nieces now who tell me that uh, oral sex is not really sex. It's just, <laughs> it's great. Just a blowjob. Yeah, not, it's not mm-hmm. sex. It's I haven't had sex. It's mm-hmm. oral. Just a blowjob. Uh, so it's it's interesting in that that transition that that students make. Well, I should say young adults make from high school to here in mm-hmm. their perceptions because mm-hmm. you know some may 
maybe that way. Depends right. where you come from, what culture you come from, what part of the country you come from. The high school may have a higher perception and maybe a higher reality than I know of. Uh, of uh, sexual activities and then colleges. Well, that's really quite common in people I talk to, especially people who have contracted an STI. There are a lot of people who said, I am a virgin and I contracted genital herpes <laughs> and um, because they contracted it via oral sex. Right. You know, and so a lot of people will respond, oh, that's such a shame. And, you know, someone's never had actual traditional vaginal male-female intercourse. Um, and so they're not, you know, not putting two and two together. Not, yeah. They just don't see it that way. And everyone mm -hmm. does have a different perception. So it's not necessarily wrong. But unfortunately, by not communicating and having the, the proper education and background behind that that Wait supports minute, you're it. You're saying we don't have a good educational <laughs> system about sexuality? I know, as I sit here at a university. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's the thing, you know. I had, I had traditional abstinence-only sex education, uh -huh. and um, so many people that I know have, and that's, the, that's where then they miss that component that says you may still you know, see yourself as a virgin maybe via religious beliefs or something like that because you haven't engaged in traditional sex, however, traditional male, vaginal, female sex. However, if you're engaging in these other kinds of sexual activities, you're still at risk. You still need to be careful, conscientious, you know, all of these things. And because there's that disconnect, none of that happens, you know. So, yeah, it's a bit of a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> so she she punctuates that with it's a bit of a bump. <laughs> well, you know, we're we're talk we're not taking political viewpoints here. We're not really even taking religious viewpoints. We're talking right. about knowledge, right? And in order for people to make decisions about what is capacity building for them, you need knowledge. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, I mean, we could do a survey on this campus how many folks have really had adequate information and or education right. about <clears throat> sexuality K through 12 and you probably end up with less than 1% because I always say that we have a kosher sex education uh, program in the state of Michigan, kosher standing for ham and pork. Ham stands for, we don't talk about homosexuality, abortion, masturbation, pork stands for what was it now? Pleasure, orgasm, response, and knowledge. Mm. We have a kosher sex education program. Okay. We don't talk about any of those issues. Right. Interesting. It's, it lacks knowledge. So, but four three two three eight nine three to share your perspective yes, on uh, perceptions yeah. of sex on campus. Right, Emmanuel? Yep, that is the number. And Kevin actually uh, took to the streets to ask some MSU students about what their perceptions were um, about sex before they came to MSU's campus. So why don't we go ahead and uh, give a listen? to those now certainly um, what perceptions did you have about sex before you came to MSU well I always thought that you should love someone before you have sex with someone but now that I'm here I guess like a lot of people don't do that <laughs> I would say primarily that everyone in college hooks up I think that was the rumor prior to attending college I have sex all the time that a lot of people have sex. I don't know. I feel like in college, even more people do. Um, I think it's a lot more accepted, especially on the college campus than it is in the high school level, um, and definitely more accepted nowadays than it uh, was previously. I think, I think that people do it too freely, and they make it not worth as much as it really should be worth. Um, I would think that it happens more in college than, I guess, high school. I, I don't know. So uh, they're thinking a lot of people are having sex, I guess. <laughs> well, what was your take-home message, Kevin, when you were doing the actual interviews? What was your take-home message from people? You started this 
power off by saying they were uncomfortable or it was uncomfortable? Or? Yeah, I don't know if it was the time of day I went out. If it was the oh, so you were uncomfortable. <laughs> no, no, no. It, just, it was um, the students, uh, they realized that what we were talking about was sex. And uh, they were like, yeah, I'll answer some questions for you. But at first they were kind of just hesitant to whether they would go into personal questions or if it would just stay in the surface level of what your perception of sex was. And mm-hmm. so... As, as the questions went on, they were like, okay, these are, they're not digging too deep, and I'll answer them. So I, I feel like they were answering honestly. So the take-home yeah, take 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 message to you was that they thought there was more, that Certainly. everybody hooks up? Oh, yeah. There's, there's, they, the perception of the hookup culture. Uh, Animal I think house. So. Yeah, <laughs> animal house. People are having sex, and, and whether or not there's a relationship that comes from it or a relationship that started that sex, um, people are having it, and it's it's just as common for a student to say that their perception was met because of the environment they've been in, whether or not, let's say, they're in a frat or in a, a student organization and they're in this tight-knit group. Um, I think it's specific to uh, personal experience and whether or not they were exposed to people talking about it a lot. And I think I had a couple students that I, I really got the feeling that they were not exposed to it. So their perception wasn't there that people are having sex, but mm. um, they didn't verbalize that they kind mm-hmm. of just were like oh no i i didn't know and so they passed on that question so. so these people were saying that you interviewed was that their perception prior to coming to the university and and then they still believed met. that it was matt yes well, oh got, very interesting okay we do have a segment. we do have a um segment where he asked well what have you learned since you've come to that hmm, university okay. oh, okay. so let's see let's see if anyone's uh changed if we get a different kind of a group of responses for this one. So the question was, what have you learned about sex since you've been here? What have you learned since you've been here about sex? Well, Vance, I think that there's a lot of misperceptions on campus about how many people are actually hooking up when, in fact, the majority primarily are just with one partner or choose to remain abstinent. Um, A lot of people just have sex with whoever, and they don't really care. They'll just go home with a random person, (laughs) and... Before, I, like I said, I thought you should love somebody, and clearly people don't think the same thing here. <laughs> um, yes, I think it's a lot different. Um, it's very demographically um, segregated. Like, there's definitely people that have sex a lot more, and there's populations that don't um, within the entire campus population. Demographically so, segregated. Yeah, demographically segregated. Must have been an engineering or something. He's just words wise. Well, maybe that speaks to different groups, different organizations. I mean, stereotypical, you know, if I could just throw out some like the chess club, they're not having sex, but the frat houses are. Oh, wait a minute. You don't know the chess club. Well, (laughs) precisely. And it's probably a very unfair, you know, stereotype, but but maybe that's where some of that's coming from, too, where this, oh, well, different demographics are, and maybe that person hadn't experienced, you know, one or the other. Well, it's it's interesting. I had a doctoral student come in yesterday who was from Andrews University. Andrews University is a uh, predominantly 92% Seventh-day Adventist uh, Christian college down around uh, St. Joe's. Okay. And she came in because she's doing a study of why the percentage of students at Andrews University is 40% less, or 40% less people have uh, sex on Andrews University than uh, at a normal college. You know, say 75% of our students are sexually active, so only 30%. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to know why. 
Uh, because the, the demographic that actually picks Andrews University is Seventh-day Adventists, which they preach and the university preaches abstinence. Mm -hmm. right. Now, she wants to know why they're ha having... <laughs> she wants to know why uh, it's so answer. low, but the university <laughs> wants to know why they're having sex at all. Okay. Oh. Because in order to get into it, you have to, uh, you know, be by their values, which is mm -hmm. you are abstinent until marriage. Okay. And so it's real interesting that you know they have a high a, a less rate of sexual activity overall overall because but the demographic is that they are seventh day adventists 92% of them are seventh day adventists they go to the college huh but, and i wouldn't say i would bet and wager a little bit anyways that it's not just the 8% who aren't the seventh day um Plus, you know, the other, oh, no, whatever, 22% yeah, no. of that 30. No. I would say that it's probably just equally split. There's just people who are being influenced and right. who are engaging in activities. Well, what made me think about it was a young lady who said, you know, my, my perception was that you had to love somebody you be before love, you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's the, you know, sex is dirty, save it for someone you love concept right. that we, mm -hmm. we've always talked about. But, you know, then she said her, her reality now is that, well, they're going home, everybody's going home with somebody to hook up and they don't necessarily love them. Everybody? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's probably broad swooping. I'm sure that's offending someone out there. Well, you know, but what wasn't intended after 12 also, years of doing this data, you know, uh, as, as Dr. Hembroff would say from Office of Survey Research, unless people got together uh, covertly 12 years in a row and all said, we were going to lie about this. Right. <laughs> uh, that the data is, you know, is, is, you can believe it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we only have 75% of our students who are sexually active, with 75% of them being in monogamous relationships. Mm -hmm. And uh, everybody knows a, you know, a long dong silver who's out there having sex with 10 people, but that's just one person. Right. You know, and in the last school year, 46% of MSU students reported only having one sexual partner. And 26% uh, of the uh, student population reported having no sexual partners. So. And yeah. we're hoping the state news isn't listening because they'll probably write an editorial tomorrow saying, we don't believe those stats. <laughs> <laughs> well, if, if you don't believe us or have a comment, you can call in. The number is 432-3893. Uh, either you can give us your perception on... Uh, Sex, and I believe we still have a prize. Do we have a prize back? Oh, we have a couple of prizes. Yes. All right. We still, still have prize some prizes packs. to give away. Uh, so that number, once again, is 432-389. And uh, for some of you that are wondering where we're getting this data from and uh, how it's concocted, uh, uh, our uh, coworker Allison Rogers, had a, a short blip to, to say about where it comes from. And, and to those who refute it or, or don't believe it, uh, why you should. So, uh, So take a listen. I'm here with Allison Rogers, uh, the Health Promotion and Communication Specialist at Olin Health C Center. Um, Allison, uh, to the students that claim that the NCHA data is not valid or doesn't represent, represent the MSU culture, uh, what do you have to say to them about the actual stats that are taken? Well, prior to this position and prior to going to grad school, I also was very skeptical about the data. and. As a student, as a human being, you should always be skeptical about research you're presented with because oftentimes researchers can easily skew that data and make it seem um, to represent things or hypotheses, whatever they actually are trying to test. And I would tell students that in actuality, this is one of the most reliable scales and surveys that's administered and it's done not only here at MSU, but at hundreds of colleges and universities nationwide. And even further, we've been doing it every other year for the past 12 years since 2002. And it's a really good um, survey that looks at a diverse amount of health-related topics. And 
it not only is representative of the stu- representative of the student body here at MSU, but we even take it a step further than most universities, and we actually hire a statistician here at MSU that goes even further and does something called weights the data. And that means he looks at uh, what students were over or underrepresented on this survey, and he makes that proportionate to the actual amounts of students here at MSU and the different diversity and different age ranges, anywhere from a freshman to a doctoral student. And this survey, it's, it's so incredibly representative of the MSU population, really does hit on the true statistics that you would see here with our students. So to those people that say it's false, you would say it's quite accurate? That is correct. I would refute them and really encourage them to look at our ACHA and CHA data and dig a little bit deeper and read exactly how we administer it. It is a random stratified sample, um, basically meaning that, again, it's very representative of our student body. So that was Allison uh, Rogers. Rogers. Yeah, we must we must say to Allison, she did a good job. She did a great job. But if, Larry, if Larry hears <laughs> that you called him a statistician, you're in trouble. <laughs> you're in trouble. Well, you know, I, the point being here, uh, folks, and we know this, is that politics and cultural values will always trump data. Uh, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can talk about the data as much as you want, and we can talk about how uh, methodologically sound it is, uh, but politics and cultural values will always trump mm-hmm. data it, when it comes to people trying to figure out their perceptions and, and realities about it all. Uh, 432-3893, did I get it right? Yes, mm-hmm. you, yes did. you did. Very and nice. I didn't even look this time. There's Kyle's back there. Yeah. Give us a call. <laughs> Give us a call and let's see what you think. Uh, you know, we talked about healthy sexuality, mm-hmm. and we talked about health being, you know, uh, capacity building. and. We have a saying over in health ed that you can find health at any size, any orientation, mm-hmm. with any disease, mm-hmm. that the health is not relative to people who are free of any type of oppression or anything. You can find health at any size. Mm-hmm. You're a great example. I mean, yeah. you were telling me about your project, and I don't know if you want to get into it now, but I would love to hear more about your project. Yeah, it's sure. Uh... Yeah, the STD project. So I mentioned it's a website. Um, I started that. I actually launched the website in April of this year to coincide with STD Awareness Month. Um, and we talk about STIs, STDs interchangeably. You know, we're going to talk about this. You know <laughs> yeah, <that. laughs> I'm sure somebody was going to ask. For the STD project, I've stayed stuck with STD, even though STI is the brand new term um, that's being accepted and used by the medical profession and sexual health educators and experts more um, readily now than it used to be. And the reason being is STI is stands for sexually transmitted infection as opposed to STD, which stands for sexually transmitted disease. The most common symptom of all STDs is no symptom at all. So what the STI represents, it's a little more all-encompassing in terms of you can be infected without showing symptoms of disease. And disease also carries a little bit, at least... It's thought that saying you have a disease sounds worse than saying, oh, you have an infection. Like, oh, I just Mm -hmm. have a cold, which is an infection. When you say disease, everybody thinks, oh, shoot, we're all going to die or something. You know, Mm -hmm. it's Ebola and the plague. Um, 
So the reason why that's the There's newest no term. There's no outbreak on campus if yeah. they the flag. be clear about that. Right. Yeah. So the the idea behind remaining with name the naming simply with the STD project is one, a lot of people still aren't familiar with the term STI, um, just common everyday people. So when people are searching and, and looking for information, I've kept STD, but I use them interchangeably on the website. So the website is um, a host of things. It's kind of like a content management system in terms of there's a forum on there where you can ask any question you'd like and you get a response within 24 hours. People can talk back and forth or respond to one another's comments. There's a blog, so there's all sorts of posts about the... I talk about about 20 or so different um, STIs and STDs. The World Health Organization says there are about 30 or so out there. I actually seem to talk about a little more than what you commonly see at like a Planned Parenthood website. You know, these are all great. I use them a lot for references. The American Social Health Association, I fact check everything. So there's just factual basic information as well as I've been living with an STI genital herpes since I was 16 years old. I'm 30 now, so that's been 14 years. Um, so then I share my story openly, my pictures on the site and I'm like, hello, I'm Janelle and I have an STD. Yay. You know, <laughs> who does that? Brave right. Soul. Brave soul. Yeah. But the point is, is that I've, I've been successful professionally. I've had great relationships. I am divorced. I had, I was married. I never had trouble finding a significant other. I was lucky. Some people do get turned down, um, you know, and some people don't want to go that one step further into a physical relationship because someone has an STI which is totally everyone's, you know, each and to each their own, their own, their own choice for their, themselves, what risk they're willing to take, mm-hmm. whether the relationship's developed. But I share those things, kind of that additional component that's not there in a lot of just the medical websites, which are awesome and give you the facts, but they don't say, what now? Now I'm living with this. Now I contracted this. What should I think about myself? What should I do? How should I talk about this going forward? That's all on the website as well. So in a nutshell, a bunch of resources. I'm not a doctor. I have um, an MBA, a BBA and MBA in accounting. I was an accountant of all, <laughs> all right. things. So if they have questions about accounting. So yeah. If, you have, yeah, if you have accounting questions, bring them to me too. That's great. So I do defer to a lot of those um, medical uh, websites as well so that they can vet my information too. Well, I have a series of questions, but I think we have another call. Yeah, we have someone who wants to join great. the conversation great. here. Uh, welcome to Sexposure. Who's on the line? This is Rose. How are you? Hi, Rose. Hi, Rose. Hi, Rose. Good. Hey, good. I just wanted to, I guess, mention a little bit. Just I know that the people that you were talking to were saying things about how sex needs to be something that you do with someone you love. Or somebody else said, well, people are just hooking up, and it's crazy. And mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things to mention for students especially is that, you know, you're considered adults now, and don't be ashamed of the body that you have. Like, it doesn't... There's so many different ways that people think that they should behave and the sex that they're supposed to have and the way that they're supposed to have it and the way that they're supposed to act while they're having it. And it's sort of like, you're not enjoying it at all. Why is the one organ in your body that can give you the best feeling ever being constricted by what somebody that you've never met is telling you about what you should experience? So I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. People are saying what you should and should not do. Well, you bring up a nice point in that you know, it's all about whether what you should or should not do. If, if 
healthy sexuality can be in saying, I don't want to do anything yet. I'm not comfortable. I'm not ready. I mean, that's both. It goes in both directions. Exactly. And to Mm -hmm. say, I would just be comfortable doing this. And that's right. Fine. And to not mm-hmm. feel pressured to be more and to just say, this feels good when this happens. This doesn't feel good when that happens. And to trust and know that your partner is open and responsible and has enough respect for themselves and for you to treat it that way. And to know, like, to know that the partner that you're with wants it to be as good of an experience for you as it is for them. Not to be cheesy, oh, was it good for you? But no, really. <laughs> to know that, people, right. to know that right. people take that seriously. And that I'm not saying that sex, I'm. My personal opinion is that if you love yourself and you respect yourself and you genuinely care for the well-being of your partner and you're ready, why not? Well, let me ask you a question, Rose. Thank you for calling, too, by the way. Uh, An old teacher of mine, his name was Bill Masters. Masters and Johnson's wrote the book on sexuality. Bill, the old fart he was, used to say, there's only two reasons to have sex. Procreation and pleasure. And if you're not doing it for one of those, you need to ask yourself why. What do you think about that? Um, well, I think uh, procreation, um, personally, I'm not at that point where I'd like to settle down and procreate. So that You're, not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. No doubt. Uh, that, I'm sure that will happen. I would like that to happen at some point in my life, so I definitely recognize the need for that. And I know that when I step into a relationship permanently, I would like to get married one day. That will be what it's for. But in terms of pleasure, and I think other reasons that it could be for, if you're doing it, responsibly and respectfully could be for personal validation or personal affirmation and a lot of times people aren't being respected and they're not respecting themselves and so rather than having sex for procreation or for pleasure they're doing it solely for that affirmation need and that's when it gets ugly and that's right. when people get hurt mm-hmm. yeah. I totally well, yeah i can't Good tell point. you how many times over the years in counseling or therapy whether it's hiv or couple therapy i've had people tell me that uh, you know i've got a list of probably about 90 different reasons why people have sex and many of them are very uh destructive Mm -hmm. uh, reasons and you know really the reason for i think most times for sex is to really explore the pleasures not only the body but the relationship and the communication and everything there and i really think people do need to ask themselves why they're why they're choosing to sexually express themselves Mm -hmm. if it's not for pleasure i mean i can't tell you how many women when i say point blank i'll say to them so in in a non-condescending manner so why are you having sex I really don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, or it's for him, or it's for her, mm-hmm. or it's for somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. and, right? And why can't you just ask that person that if you're trying, if you're having sex with them? To me, it's you're you're opening up a part of your body rather than just talking to them, which doesn't involve any fluid exchange, any anything. Mm-hmm. You're exposing your body biologically to another person without to fix something that you could very well just fix by saying, look, I care for you, I respect you, and I want to know what's going on. What can I do? Like, how are we, how are we using our bodies to fix this? Let's try something different. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, we come from a perspective, uh, and I have a training perspective of what we call uh, erotophilia. It's about the positive aspects of sex. It's about promoting sex and sexuality in a very positive ma- manner when most of society and what we learned when, when we were younger is from what we call erotophobia perspective, which is sex is bad, sex is negative, uh, you, sex is something to give to somebody else, sex is bad, you know, so as we said, save it for someone you love, I yeah. love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rose, thank you. Thank you for calling yes, in. Thank you. Yes. Great points. Thanks, very, Rose. Very insightful. Bye. Okay, now I, I need to ask you. Sure. You know, we talked before we came on. Uh, I, I understand, and I really like what you're doing. Thanks. I really do. 
the STI thing. It's not well accepted among medical professionals. Medical professionals still love to use the STD term. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've worked for ages with, with doctors. And mm -hmm. I could tell you stories about doctors. Uh, but they still like to use the concept because I think there's this Victorian attitude that uh, STD is more fear-related, mm -hmm. the whole concept of having a disease. So, so even though you use them interchangeably, we, I think I would love to see you focus more on the STI because infection also gives hope to the person who gets it because we use disease a lot in the medical field mm -hmm. to uh, almost signify that you've got it, uh, you got this, it's, it's not curable. I, don't, I can't tell you how many people out there think that that uh, HPV is n you have it for life mm -hmm. when oh, it's yeah. not true. I mean, right. it's not true at all. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's still women walking around who go to the physicians and they say, well, you have it for life. You got it. It's a disease. Right. right. So so I think the STI thing, what we've been trying to really do is it, it's an infection. Mm -hmm. People live with infections all the time, whether right. it's sexually transmitted or whether it's coming down the hall and you slap high fives with somebody. Absolutely. And so Interestingly enough, too, before it was STD, it was venereal disease, yes. which was named after Venus, the goddess VD. of love. Yeah. So it's when you say, like, oh, this is a disease from love, or this is an infection <laughs> from the goddess of love, what a wonderful little gift the goddess of love brought to me. And right. it, but even when you start talking about some of those, that origin, I, I think that's even better than STD, oh, yeah. that sexually transmitted disease component. So And, and lots of students said, uh, I didn't actually separate them, now I wish I had, but I'd ask them, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear STD or STI? And, mm -hmm. and uh, well, some of them are quite strange. Startling, and but let's let's hear what their responses were. And that question was uh, first thing that comes to mind when you hear an STI or um, when you hear STI or STD. First thing you think of when you hear STI or STD. <laughs> Frat, I guess. Frat. <laughs> Genital warts. Somebody who sleeps around. I think that they're gross. That's what I think of. I guess. Not much of it on campus. Spectrum, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was the interesting one that That's I was like, interesting. Oh, yeah. I don't know what fret you're talking about. But. <laughs> They're fret. not going to be happy right. to hear yeah. that. So I think, I think there is a large stigma. And like I said, I wish oh, I would have yeah. separated the two to see if I got a different response from STI. Yeah, that would have been rather interesting. Rather than STDs. So and whether right. everyone knew what yeah. STI was. Yeah, or if they were thinking there's exactly. two. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. Hindsight's 2020, but it <laughs> But I think you're right. I think most people still call it oh, STDs yeah. as much as yeah. we try to call mm -hmm. them STIs. I don't know how many and, times. And I do think it's recognizable, and, and mm -hmm. you need to start someplace to, in order to try, try to change the right. culture of it. And, right. Uh, as an HIV counselor, I don't know how many times I've actually sat there and said STI and forgotten to say what it means, and they'll stop me and they'll be like, what are you talking about? And I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm sorry. Um, let me go back. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, it isn't recognizable as as I as much Not as yet, I thought. Anyway. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. And so, but I totally understand why you use STD for your yeah, STD project. Yeah, I use them interchangeably, and I'm starting to use STI a whole lot more intentionally for that purpose, and because um, because of my connection with some of the folks in the medical community and stuff like that, who who respect that a little more than just that stigmatized STD. Um, but I'm not afraid of the STD term either because I want to tackle that stigma and say, well, why do you believe that? And where mm -hmm. did that come from? And is that true? And is that true for some populace, you know? And, and again, that's back to that communication that I've been mm -hmm. talking about all night long. But yeah, that's always very interesting to me to see what where that that stems, you know, where the initial perception. Well, I think we I think we've found it. Well, I have. I've been in HIV counselor now for 19 years. 
and you know uh, the stigma of talent of having AIDS mm -hmm. uh, compared to now we talk about having uh, the infection, mm -hmm. human immunodeficiency infection, right. rather than AIDS has allowed a lot of people to go. I can live with this infection. Mm -hmm. I can live with it. This is this is not going to define who I am. Right. And that's mm -hmm. where I think we try to come back and say it's an infection. Sometimes it's an infection that uh, can last a long time. Mm -hmm. Some of them are incurable. Right. Uh, but you can live with an infection. Most uh, of them are all right. manageable nowadays right. mm -hmm. with the right access to, um, to, to medication. And, of course, that can be a political conversation that we won't get into yeah. at this point in time with proper access and care. But, yes, for the, and the broad perspective. So, so the question that I would get uh, and I would ask you, uh, when you have... Uh, an STR. Mm -hmm. How do you talk about it with somebody? Mm -hmm. As we talk about, you know, I spent many years in the disability community, and when you have a visible disability, that's one thing. Mm -hmm. How do you talk about a invisible, let's just use the term lightly here, disability sure. or infection? How do you do that? How do yeah. you bring it up? The first thing, hey, how are you? <laughs> I have, and I have, the common reaction. When oh we yeah, you know, that. interestingly enough, I think the common reaction that I've had is been almost identical across the board. Um, I don't think it's probably the same for everyone, but it's quite different than what I think most people would assume. And so how I've learned to go about it, this is through trial and a lot of error. And now I've kind of figured out a really effective way. And you need to, anyone who's, who's recently contracted an STI or is living with an STI, um, I don't believe that one is required to tell someone on first meeting, hi, my name's Janelle, I have an STI, I have genital herpes, would you like to go to dinner with me tonight? <laughs> I mean, I've also heard people say, well, then that's like a bait and switch where you're not telling them what they're at risk for. Right, but when right. you're on a first date with somebody, you don't tell them that you have a mother with disabilities. You don't tell them mm -hmm. that your dad's in prison. I mean, you don't say all of the yeah, random different things about you that you're worried you wait as you start to begin to trust someone because that's right. also personal information that you don't want to just tell the world necessarily. I mean, not everyone's like me and tells everybody their story. So mm -hmm. um, I say that if if you're thinking that you're going to, that there is the potential to um, put someone at risk in a sense of you want to engage in physical activities, that's when the conversation needs to happen, of course, before mm -hmm. they're at risk and before you engage in those activities. And it and it also can't be while you're naked laying in bed right before it happens <laughs> right. because yeah. that puts somebody in a compromising position and doesn't allow them to think through the choice and decision that they're about to make in the heat of the moment. Mm -hmm. um, you so, probably just stopped a lot of people just now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, who are listening to, wait a minute, oh, impact right. says no impact until right. we talk. Right. Yes, and, it's true. And, you know, and then at that point, I think it's best. I found doing it in someone's home, I generally... I've been dating someone, dating a boyfriend, and said, you know, hey, I'd like to talk to you about something. Do you have a few minutes? And then I go over and approach them in a quiet environment. It doesn't have to be their home, but this has happened to be for me where it's been, where no one else is around. We can sit and chat. I give them the story. You know, here I'm going to come out with it. I have genital herpes. I've lived with it for this amount of time. I give them my background, how I contracted it, what I know about that. I give some factual information, but then I say, also... So here's the information I know. There's lots of information and resources out there, and I want you to go and do a lot of your... Don't just take my word for it. I even say that on the website all the time. Don't just stop at the STD project. Mm -hmm. Move on. Check out some of the resources I recommend. Find some of your own. You can also recommend some to me if I don't have something on my website that you think is awesome. So tell that to that significant other. 
potential, um, you know, whatever. And, and then say, basically, it's like a 15-minute conversation. It's the scariest conversation you'll ever have. I mean, one of the scariest conversations you could ever have because you're just so nervous about mm -hmm. one rejection. Um, but then I tell the people who are having those conversations, people get rejected for all sorts of reasons. People get rejected because they're annoying, they talk too much, they, yeah. they like soccer, and I mean, just silly things, right? <laughs> all sorts of things people get rejected Why for. Why does it have to be the scariest conversation you have? Why? Because they're worried about the rejection, I think, okay. Okay. and in the stigma, and, and totally. having somebody say that something. That was rhetorical. Yes, yes, <laughs> mean to them, and absolutely. So what I think is almost kind of nice is if somebody does say, you know, I don't want to continue dating you or I don't want to go there. I don't want to take a risk because they, no matter how well you use protection and stuff like that, there is always a risk at hand. Um, almost always. And but why so, wouldn't they, why wouldn't somebody be scared in that first relationship in, in anyone's t where you would say, and by the way, I'm also a Republican. <laughs> or I'm a, uh, I'm a tree hugger sure. or I'm, right. you know, uh, I have OCD, or I'm bipolar, or right. anything. Why? Why is? Why is the sexually transmitted infection the scariest conversation we would have? I think it's again because of how people react to it because external. Yes, because because of how it happened. Because right. anything below the waist. Interestingly enough, too, I was just reading an article online today about the difference between oral herpes and genital herpes and how oral herpes are just cold sores. You know, 80% of the population mm -hmm. has some form of herpes. Certainly. And um, four out of five of that uh, population has oral herpes. So, or I'm sorry, three out of four of the population has oral herpes. So if three out of the four of, of the 80% have oral herpes, there's tons of these people, but it's not looked at the same way. And it's because the act of sex is involved. Right. Mm -hmm. It's because how it was contracted. Even mm -hmm. though a lot of STIs can be contracted different way, they're most commonly contracted sexually. So that's the first thing everyone goes to. But then mm -hmm. they don't think, oh, well, maybe you contracted it from your husband or maybe right. someone cheated. Maybe you were abused. I mean, so there's all sorts of maybe you were injecting drugs or I mean, there's stigma behind some of all of those things, oh, too. Yeah. But because it was sexual related, sexually related, that's why it's so scary, because then instantly I'm admitting to having had sex with somebody else, maybe not being as careful as I should have been or using protection or maybe I had sex with multiple people. For me, I, that was my story. Is so. it the same? Is it the same with men and women? You know, I think so. And when you're talking about STIs specifically, um, I do think that they're looked at just as bad. Mm -hmm. But yeah. regardless of whether you're male or female, because of that, even though I think sex, men being a little more promiscuous, is applauded and not looked down upon as much but as it is. For haven't women. you not heard? I mean, at times in your work that if a woman has an STI, it's uh, you deserved it or you got it because you were permissive with, when, when, with a man, it's she gave it to you or she gave it to me. Yeah, I guess and I, I, I that hear too, that a lot. Bit, yeah. you, know, where, you know, it's it's like a blame game that's mm -hmm. in reverse when there's yeah. genders. Or, that's unique. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I have heard that before, and it just doesn't and, always stand out to me. But and yeah, genders that's aside, true. going off what you said, I mean, 
the stigma is that if you have an ISTI, a lot of times people think, oh, you are promiscuous. You are sleeping around. Yeah. Like she said. It, it like the goes, one guy on yep. your yeah. questionnaire. And you are yeah. Yeah. dirty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, like you said, it could easily be that you had one partner your whole life, and yeah. that's it. And that partner gave it to you because right. they went outside of the and relationship. And we, right. we won't even talk about who uh, transmits oral herpes the most in families because... The one study that we saw, well, it was about it's about ten years old now, was that it was grandmothers who were passing oral herpes right, more than anyone right. else because they were kissing really. babies, Social, yeah. and kissing babies a lot, oh, yeah. right. and the passing of it. So, yeah. well, but we don't even go there for your first show, <laughs> will we? Uh, every yeah. grandma's going to we'll be calling that. <laughs> yeah. So, full circle, when you're having that conversation, the one thing I'd like to say that I don't think everybody always thinks of is you get re- people get rejected for all sorts of reasons. It doesn't make the rejection less hurtful. However, it's very rare that you get to know why someone stopped calling you, why they didn't want to be with you. And if they're saying they're not ready to take that risk with you and they don't want to continue dating you because you have an STI, it's actually kind of nice to know that that's it. It wasn't because they didn't like your hair, you were too fat, you were not hot enough for them, you weren't cool. I don't All those random things right, that go through someone's head when you stop getting phone calls and someone just chooses to not talk to you anymore, at least you know the relationship hadn't been developed enough. And I think oftentimes what I, at least even what I hear from people who come to the website, they say the ones that they've had success with and the people who've been willing to take the risk, similar to my circumstance, the people who wanted to continue in a relationship with me, I've already developed a a relationship with them. So Mm -hmm. they were at the point where they thought that the risk was potentially worth it. The juice was worth the squeeze. You know, I don't know. (laughs) Wait wait till they find out you're a a ninja assassin. (laughs) Right. I mean, uh, we didn't get to that point. uh, But I know we uh, we're running short on time. We've got about a a minute left. uh, What events do we have coming up, Kev? We We have have an STI. We have an STI clinic in Holden Hall, right where we're at here next Monday. It starts 5 o'clock and it goes till 7 o'clock. So if you're in the area and you want to get tested, we have also a number of other things available as as well as the uh, In Your Face Theater Troupe, which promotes healthy sexuality in all forms uh, regarding communication, cool. abstinence, uh, communication, how right? to put on a condom. <laughs> we touch a lot of different things. So come and buy. We'll have a <laughs> light. Throw that in there, didn't you? It, is, it is a wellness uh, clinic. It is not necessarily just an SDI clinic, but if you need to get tested, uh, come on down to Holden. It's 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock on mm-hmm. Monday. Um, evening. Uh, and Monday, October... October 15th, next right. Monday. Next and maybe we can convince Janelle to even actually be there. Oh, I'd be happy yeah, to, yeah. Be yeah. To do that. It's we nice to know friends. that it's a wellness clinic, too, because you can go down and not anybody, if you want to get tested, people mm-hmm. don't know you're walking in yep. there just exactly. for that purpose. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. This is a wellness checkup. You <laughs> 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 did good. Holding <laughs> on to health is what right. it's called. Holding on to Sexually health. healthy. Mm-hmm. Well, that is our time for the show tonight. Uh, I'd like to thank you all for coming on to our first episode of Exposure of the Year, my first episode hosting. It was Delightful. lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure you tune in. Sexposure is uh, the second Tuesday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. here on Impact 89 FM. Thank Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.